Hi, and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the podcast where each week two friends separately and compulsively look up all of the crazy things we can find about a history story that has stoked our imaginations. And then we come together and we tell each other these things while the other one rakes their face with a tiny back massager. (laughs) I'm host number one. I am Teresa. And that is... Angie. And I'm the one with the tiny back scratcher. (laughs) It honestly is the color of a John Deere tractor and she was using it on her face. Like she was trying. I don't, I don't even, I'm, I don't, I don't know what we're doing in life, but um, hey, this is trying to distract her, but it didn't work. This is episode 52. So we have been doing this weekly for an entire year. Um, Which is wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's that's it. All right. Thanks for coming. It's been a good time. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. No, but. (laughs) I was like, wait, how long are we going to be quiet? (laughs) I have no idea. And honestly, it doesn't matter because the millennial pause is real and I spend most of my time editing those out. That's true. It's a very real thing. You know, you just have to catch up with your brain sometimes. Okay, so I feel as if the younger generations are mocking the millennial pause as opposed to recognizing, I felt like it was beaten into me. I had a professor who would stand, she was over six feet tall, rail thin with piercing blue eyes. And you would ask her a question and she would stop and she would stare at you as if she was calculating your IQ at that specific moment and then proceed with her response. And it was always like the most succinct and jarring response that you would get from her. And it always was just along the lines of basically like, you know, well, I pause because I think before I speak, what's your excuse? I'm here for that. Yeah, I am 100% here for that. Um, the other problem, I don't know if you have this problem, but I have this problem. A lot of my pause exists because I'm trying to like reconvene my brain. Like what is the correct reconvene? Like you're literally looking at all of your brain cells going order, order (laughs) in the court. Exactly that. Like reconvene my brain is the easiest way to word what I was, what I was thinking to give you the visual of like, okay, there's 5,000 things going on at once. And I'm just trying to pronounce this guy's name. Pause. Let's work it out. I mean, line up, boys. You know, it doesn't always work. I wish it did because the other day I was trying to say a word to you. I don't remember what it was. And like three hours after we were done recording, I'm like, ah, I remember what the word is. It's invalid now. (laughs) I mean, you could always just voice memo me later and be like, the word of the day is, and I'll be like, what in the world? The word I was looking for was contradiction, (laughs) which I had in my mind before we recorded, but did not when we recorded. Well, just to do callbacks, Pegamagabo. I can do that first time on command now. It's the second you think it. Isn't that funny how our brains work? Could I do that that, that, the day I recorded the episode? No, no, I couldn't. Had I been practicing, you're damn right I am. And you know what? It was perfect. Every time I practiced it, I got on and I hit record. My brain went, nope. Deuces. I know. (laughs) Uh, Out to office. (laughs) You got back one of those those pre-canned email notifications. I'll be gone for the week of. (laughs) Yeah. If, If you need to reach somebody, please email. Yeah, call tech support. I get that one a lot. But yeah. So um, I know this week, both of our lives separately went sideways. And so we are pulling notes from forgotten episodes, which means the notes are legit, but our familiarity with them might be a year old. Uh, I am excited to tell you that when it occurred to me that we were both pulling notes from forgotten episodes, I decided that the best way to end 52 weeks is by telling you my very first story. That was oh my lost. gosh. Yeah. I thought there'd be I a have... really fun like circle back. I have no idea what your first one was. That's so exciting. <laughs> okay. So now you're going first. Oh, I'm going first. 
All right. Well, I mean, because you did that. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but like, I can't not know what Angie's I've got to tell this to her first. Okay. Like, I, I brought my very first story with me. So, but, but okay, because it was my first story, here's, here's my um precursor. For whatever reason, in my brain, I included the um sources at the end. So let me scroll to the bottom. You couldn't just this. copy paste this? I mean, I could have, but it's you know, just now honestly, crossing my mind that I should have. What would it be if I didn't ream you for sources at the beginning of your story? I know, truly. Um, I also need to preface that this story has not one, not two, but three Wikipedia links because I wanted to know what something was. You know, you so realize like, you could just reference them and then real, you know, like just use the source on Wikipedia, like go click through and go, okay, here's the actual. Yeah, I could have. But for this particular story, they're very just like I typed in Google, what is this thing? And Wikipedia gave me the answer. Okay. So All it right. wasn't like, you know, a deep dive into trying to understand some philosophical idea. It was just, I need to know what this means. Quick and dirty. Quick and dirty. Yeah. So three Wikipedia sources, a source called the Republican Razor, the guillotine as a symbol of equality, an article from The Maiden, a UK article, a history.com article called Eight Things You May Not Know About the Guillotine, and a Britannica um, encyclopedia article on the guillotine, the facts, the inventor, and its history. Okay, I'm excited because <laughs> I think about some of these things that you presented to me the first time regularly. That's awesome because so do I. <laughs> so that being said, to me, the craziest idea is this idea that the the, the use of the guillotine was to represent was as a representation for equality which is so wild to me right but like that's that was the idea you came into the world the same way you will leave the world the same way there's no class separation between this use of punishment for death there's something beautiful crimes. about that yeah and it's weird that 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 can be a sentence right but it really is um so obviously the guillotine's um main where where it got its start where it got its starlight if you will got put right into the spotlight was the french revolution which took place between the years of 1789 and 1799 um i know there's a ton of information and in media related to the french revolution but how often does the guillotine really get its time in the spotlight? Do you mention the guillotine haircut that is popular uh, afterwards? I may have, because I think we chatted about that the first time. It's always the head that formerly belonged to a famous person, such as Marie Antoinette, that gets talked about, and the guillotine just gets an honorable mention. You know, always the bridesmaid, never the bride kind of thing. Yep. <laughs> Britannica.com has this to say. At first, the machine was called a lucette or a luzon after its inventor, French surgeon and psychologist Anton Louis, but later it became known as la guillotine. Because <laughs> Dr. Joseph Inesis Guillotine presented the idea of the guillotine to the National Assembly in 1789, along with many other progressive ideas and reforms. It does make me laugh to point out that this machine is considered the machine of the Enlightenment. What an insane oxymoron to me. Like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I mean, look, nothing says I'm ahead of the curve, like lopping off somebody's head. Quite literally. With extreme precedence. Yeah, quite literally, right? So... Dr. Guillotine was concerned with the penal system in France at the time and thought that there must be a better, more fair way to punish criminals like across the board. When I say fair, I mean that in reference to the idea that all crimes be punished the same way for everyone, not handing out different sentence because 
maybe you're a poor man or maybe you're a noble man. Maybe maybe you have the money to get off. Okay, but I'm going to confirm my understanding. So you throw your chamber pot out and you hit a magistrate guillotine. You off a bus of nuns guillotine. Um, (laughs) Guillotine for the death sentence. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm not saying that like across the board, every crime you commit is the guillotine. What I'm saying is if your trial determines the death sentence, guillotine. Okay. That, thank from, you. Yeah. From the the lonely gentleman on the side of the road that sells, I don't know what have you, trinkets to the prince himself. If your death sentence is death, it's the guillotine. There's no okay. buying your way to poison. You're not choosing your own. Okay. Right, 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 right. So not like Monty Python meaning a life where the guy chooses to be chased through the streets by a cadre of naked women and <laughs> he runs off a cliff and into his own casket? Correct. Okay. I mean, there are weirder ways to go, I guess. <laughs> I mean, but look, if you have to choose your own adventure, what a way. <laughs> Truly. The image I have and I was golden. With all that being said, the proposed idea was a clean mechanical demise for those facing the death penalty, as I said before. The sans culottes, or the hungry lower class folk who would later be revolutionaries, were totally on board with the guillotine idea and loved that they represented hope and commonality amongst all classes. Because nothing says hope like a sharp blade. Right. In, In a drop of the... Yeah. Nope. But hey, here we go. It's the clean mechanical death. We're all getting it, not just not just those of us that can afford it. One where the victim of the blade was not going to be hacked to bits before death or hanged or drawn and quartered. So they're looking at this as like the the way that we would look at at least this is how my brain operates. They're looking at this the way that we would look at lethal injection. Like it's clean there's not you know because like think about how often like Anne Boleyn like did they actually like get her neck in one full swipe I think they did because of the blade they used but a lot of times you're you're going to hack that neck in half before you actually kill the person you know and when we're talking about this I will say this is France so the French were the ones that executed Brunhild the and they the French didn't do Anne Boleyn no, that they was... Uh, it was a French executioner came just from oh. France for her. You know, it, as much snark as we give the French about, you know, surrendering immediately, boy, they they certainly had their their hands into execution early on. That's probably why they get a lot of snark for thrown in the towel. Well, I feel like <laughs> that that actually comes from the World Wars, where it's just like you know somebody Madagascar sneezes and France surrenders, and we're out. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I did not mean to interrupt you with my statement. Sorry about that. This is your story. I interrupted you. Carry on. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Carry on. Keep interrupting. Um, so that, so, I'll, okay. So the idea, like I said, is everybody gets a noble, clean death. The first time it works, you're done. The head's lopped off. There's no sawing through it or drawing and quartering. Um, so the group, the Sans Culottes, as I said, they're the hungry lower class folk who would later become the revolutionaries. They loved this idea and they, first of all, I just need to tell you that the sans culotte literally translates to no pants. <laughs> and that makes me laugh so hard. So um, can we go into the etymology as to where <laughs> that hails from? Because how do you be- do the no pants dance in a guillotine? I think that the idea, if I remember right, because I've heard of this group before, and I think the idea was simply that they couldn't afford these these new up-and-coming styles, so they would just forego them and wear their original style. Now, if I'm wrong and there's someone out there that knows exactly the etymology, that'd be great, but that's my understanding of it. So all that to say. Um, I want to mention that 
the guillotine was not the first of its kind, but rather the newest and cleanest version. There was the English version called the the Halifax gibbet and the plank used in Germany and Flanders and the Scottish maiden. The I just name to... just the Scottish maiden. I know, right? So we're gonna we're gonna take a little tour of the Scottish maiden real quick because this guy was a doozy and by that i mean it was truly unscrupulous in who it took to meet the maker the national museum of scotland's website states that james douglas the earl of morton who is believed to bring the idea of this type of killing machine to scotland met his his finality under the blade for the murder of king henry darnley in 1558 darnley was this go ahead that that would be like just straight equality. You know, it's like, it's your machine. You, you can all, yeah, it's it's yours. As opposed to being like, nope, can't use this on him. Too good for him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're right. Uh, do keep in mind that Darnley was the second husband of Mary, Queen, Queen of Scots. And I think it's really interesting to say that it took 13 years to get around to executing Douglas, who was supposed to be hanged by King James. Or, but King James put the kibosh on that and ordered a maiden for him instead, which is delightfully ironic, right? Like, maybe don't plot a murder after being the guy who brought a beheading machine to your country. Just, just saying. That to me, that's the very definition of you know, f around and find out. <laughs> like, you're not wrong. You did this to yourself, buddy. However, my absolute favorite part of the maiden was that it. Once the execution was done and everyone went home, you could just fold it to lay flat and stick it in storage with, like, the Halloween decor or under your bed next to your rowing machine. Like, it just... You know, this just goes well to show of. that people... Humans, human, right? We've always had these issues. <laughs> we have never had enough storage. Yeah. <laughs> and it gave me this visual of, like, the executioner just folding it up and, like, walking home, like, do-do-do-do-do, whistling with it, just, you know, like... Taking his work home with him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, however, this is not a story about bad murder plots gone wrong in Scotland, but how the guillotine was used in France during the Revolution. So, I didn't know this until I was doing this, but of the among the people of France's underbelly, it was called the widow, which I think is so dramatic. But this is France, after all. And while the idea of the guillotine was to create equal death for equal crimes, regardless of social standing, the French know how to do it up, and drama is their skill set, let's be honest. Scaffolds were built, just like in other countries, so that everyone could see the executions. But, like... It was a thing. It was a social event of the week or the day or whatever. Uh, it was a spectacle. In true French fashion, going to the razor was a sight to be seen. So the condemned, they might recite poetry. Some would sing. and So some this would... was an open mic night? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, some would even dance I'm killing dance them. You way. see this crowd? I'm killing I'm it. I'm loving it. Better go out with a bang this time. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, that was a terrible joke. Yeah, I mean, because so, it's not a bang. This isn't the firing squad, Angie. Come you're, on. You're right. Up. I blew it. I'm so sorry. So, like you said, and they would even dance their way all the way to the guillotine. They wanted it to be a spectacle, and everyone would come out to see it. History.com has a great statement about it, saying, quote, spectators could buy souvenirs. Read a program listing the names of the victims, or even grab a quick bite to eat at a nearby restaurant called Cabaret de la Guillotine. Some people attended on a daily basis. For example, the Trioctus were a group of um, knitting women in France, and these women were some of the women who marched on Versailles in one of the first acts of rebellion in October of 1789. They were angry over the shortage of food as well as high prices. So anyway, these women were there from the beginning. They supported the left-wing politicians in the National Convention and attended the Jacobin Club meetings, which is relevant. And Wikipedia has this to say about the, Jacob the Jacobin Club. The Society of Friends of the Constitution, which was renamed to the Society of Jacobins, Friends of Freedom and Equality, after about 1792, that's when they get their name as just simply the Jacobean Club, 
they were the most influential political club during the French Revolution of 89. The period of this political ascendancy includes the reign of terror during which well over 10,000 people were put on trial and executed in France, many for political crimes. Okay, so just keep that in your mind. These women were in it. And they went to the scaffolding every day. Supposedly, they would knit between deaths. Like, I don't know what they're knitting, but but they were, I don't know, maybe they're making scarves for the homeless. Who knows? But I mean, they... this is the original true crime. This just goes to show that, like, loving <laughs> true crime has never been new. Yeah, women have always been gathering. I, I was just, <clears throat> I'm just agreeing. Yeah, women have always been watching the Identity Channel. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Reading the roles, if you will. Um, Another fun thing that I guess you could consider fun is children's toys. So you could buy your child a two-foot-tall real working replica if you saw fit. Sources say they were often used to decapitate dolls and small rodents. Wait, wait, hold on. What year? What year was the guillotine? Well, so the height of the French Revolution, 1789. So this would have been after Clara the Rhino toured and really started the whole merch engine. Oh, yeah, you're right. Huh. So thanks, Clara the Rhino, because now kids have real working replicas of the guillotine. I mean, however, look, capitalisms are going to capitalist. Humans are going to human. Some cities did ban them because, well... Why would you allow a child to have a razor-sharp blade in the first place? Because we were allowing them to drink and work and... Yeah, that's true. They could often be found on the dinner table of the upper class. They used them to cut veggies and and as bread slicers, which now makes me wonder about the size of a baguette. Because it just would go in so perfectly, right? Um, But anyway, executioners were considered national celebrities... But what really stands out is that the method was used to kill both the aristocracy and the poor alike without consideration of standing. Thus, your average Joes loved it because it meant in some weird macabre way everyone was equal. Some kind of situation where classes didn't matter and everyone was the same. And that that was the whole point. That was the whole idea. But the fact that it became a sensation... For people to gather and recite poetry and sing and dance. And these knitting women knitting their hats or bonnets or what have you. Is absolutely wild to me. Because I don't think... Humans are going to human like we just said. And they've always been drawn to executions, right? It's like a thing. It's, It's weird, but it is what it is. But... I'm curious to know if it would not have been as sensational in France if the ideas wouldn't have been put out there that it was a representation of equality. No. Oh, no. And I'm going to say no, because you look at like any time there's a major celebrity that dies or an acquaintance passes away. A question that typically comes out of our mouths without thinking about the person telling us this news is how did they die? And it's not because we're trying to show empathy. I'm assuming, and I haven't done any research. This is me just speaking on the spot. So I'm full of ignorance here. So let me say it with my full chest. (laughs) I think we do that as a knee-jerk reaction to be like, oh, they died. Okay, great. How do I protect myself from that? Is there an alligator behind that tree? Are eggs poisonous now? Like what's the big thing? Like, how do I stay away? You know, I think that you're, I think you're probably right. I think there's that. And I think there's the um, humans, I think are some more so than others, but I think humans are innately curious about the macabre because it has often a taboo against it. So death being one of those things that we don't know enough about, especially then, I, I feel like it is. But I just, I, I, I wonder if it wouldn't have been as a spectacle on the part of the victim had it not meant what it did to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the guillotine for, for equality for you. All right. <laughs> what a romp. Thank you for sharing all of that because I did forget some of that. I do know there was something I was watching. It was talking about how after 
the French Revolution, how they had a bunch of the aristocracy who survived. And those women got what they called like the the guillotine haircut because to prepare for the the guillotine, they would chop their hair off very roughly. Mm -hmm. And so um, surviving members would, you know, started doing that kind of as a way to deal with the trauma of being part of, you know, having lost family members and kind of like bragging that I won, I survived. I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. I think you and I must have watched the same thing because it was very, and it was like a choppy look too. Yeah. It was fun. That wasn't what I was meaning, but like it was, I mean, um... I feel like that was part of the, I mean, I'm not going to say allure, but the impressiveness of the haircut of like, it is. Yeah. It really is kind of like, you know, the COVID banks where we all just decided <laughs> to become our own hairdressers. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm going to take a sharp, sharp turn. And I'm, I'm going so to excited. tell you about the great eggnog riot of 1828 or 1826. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes! Uh-huh. I'm so excited. <laughs> yep. Um, and I have missed this this one so much because... I meet with a mentor who's a retired colonel who went to West Point. And every time I chat with him and we talk about life and hobbies and what we're doing to be better people, I think, oh my gosh, I should tell him about that episode that we did on the Great Eggnog Riot because it's relevant. He went to West Point. And then without fail, I scroll through all of the episodes and go, oh yeah, it's not here. Well, now it's here. Now it's going to be here. Okay. So um, my sources, um, the Alarmist podcast, the Stuff You Missed in History podcast, and then there is a brilliant article on history.com all about the great eggnog, right? Um, I learned so much about eggnog and alcoholism, not alcoholism, but just alcohol consumption throughout the years. And then even before this, I sat down and watched probably 30 minutes of YouTube videos on how to make eggnog. They're not necessarily (laughs) in my sources, but I just wanted to make sure I came correct. So 1826, the average person over the age of 14, 14, drank six gallons of pure alcohol a year. So think ever clear. Oh, no, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, now, uh-huh. <laughs> if you think about, like, try to, I know I you, you heard this a year ago, so, you know, reach back into your noodle noggin. How much alcohol do you think the average person, of course, my numbers don't go back to 14. They start at age 21. So how much do you think the average 21 and up drinks a year? A pure alcohol? Pure alcohol. If you were to distill it down to... Maybe a gallon. You're a bit conservative. Um, it's two, but that's oh, okay. You know, we've dropped it from a third, or we've dropped <laughs> down to a third, and um, we're also not starting at age fourteen. So, cirrhosis is less of a thing. That's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a win. And at the time, beer and wine are just standard table beverages for children, like Kool Aid. Yeah, I mean, like, what, do you want milk in your sippy, or would you rather have a Coors? <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, rub the whiskey on the gums, you're not <sighs> going to have the problems. Bedtime would be so much easier when if everybody just passed out at 8.30. Okay. I was told last night that I was going to turn into a pumpkin by 9.30, and I was like, I don't like that this is my bedtime. I'm a grown-up person. And I was excused from apparently being a grown-up person means you go to bed at a reasonable time. Yeah. And I've explained that to kiddo of like, you know, I can't wait to be an adult. I can't wait to be this age. And I'm just like, okay, well, um, now that you're the ripe old age of, and I include her age, I'll be like, I need you to make a decision. And instead of be- me being the parent giving her the hard, fast no, I'm like, okay, you could say yes to this, but that means you're saying no to that. Mm-hmm. So you tell me what you want me to do. I don't like this. Yeah, that's that's being an adult is just making a lot of really crappy decisions time and time again where there's no winner. Yeah, it's lame. I always tell my kids they don't want to be an adult because bills. <laughs> there's that too, but it's just like, 
this isn't about us. This is about <laughs> this the, isn't about our sleep habits. <laughs> no, this is about the grog mutiny. And the eggnog riot happens at West Point, you know, the military academy. Okay, so West Point is the university where students can earn a bachelor of science. They've got standard curriculum, as you would think, with grades and also military leadership performance. So the way I understand it, and here's where I am dramatically wrong, I'm sure, and very ignorant. It's basically if your college had a much more rigorous PE program and they actually graded your leadership skills. You get, you know, medals for it. Yeah. You know, you F up, you do burpees, and um, then you're graded on how easily you can get everybody to do their stuff on their group assignment. Yeah. I think, I mean, if we're, yeah, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, I just I say that and I could just imagine everybody screaming at their steering wheel, people who've gone to West Point, and um, I'm kind of here for it. So as I'm stirring the pot, please let us know how you feel. Yeah. Say it with your whole chest. And uh, we're here for the big feelings. So back in the 1820s, West Point was basically just nuts. Um, they had lenient acceptance policies. You didn't just start at the beginning of the semester. You just, whenever was cool, you could just join, start oh. a class right at the end. Who knows? And then they have this dude named Salvanius Thayer who comes to be the superintendent. And he makes it a meritocracy where no one can just pull the advantage of their family, which is so exciting. Like, I hear that. And I'm like... <laughs> So it's basically the military. We went from a community college to a military. Overnight. Now, Thayer is a West Point graduate himself, and he comes in hard, and he rules with an iron fist, and he prohibits basically everything from playing cards to tobacco, even novels. And so, of course, he uh, prohibits alcohol. Oh, I was going to say, is that the one thing he didn't prohibit? Yeah, it's like, you know what? Um, you, We're going to you... take your books, but you can keep your beer. Yeah, you know, no cigarettes, but uh, you could do brandy. <laughs> um, he's so strict that when his nephew's admitted to the school, his nephew has to sign a letter of resignation that Thayer keeps on him. And I love that. And so the concept is if the nephew ever acts out, because they don't, he doesn't want to be accused of nepotism. Right. If the nephew ever F's up, the letter would have been pulled out and the nephew would have been promptly dismissed. Oh, I don't want to go to West Point if my uncle is the leader. I don't want to go to West Point if my uncle is there. Yeah, that's true. You know true. what I mean? Like, I have gone to public or private schools where, you know, maybe I knew somebody whose family donated a lot of money, whose parents and grandparents had also gone to that school, and I watched these people uh really get away with murder and just kind of like i wish i had that kind of pull you know I wish so that was my last name <laughs> yeah right i want my name on the side of that building because my life it would be so much easier to get an a in linguistics if that were the case mm -hmm. so anyhow uh the the man who is dubbed the father of West Point there, he decides to loosen up a bit. Maybe he's being a bit too harsh. He allows alcohol on two holidays, the 4th of July and Christmas. Because patriots. I mean, look, nothing <laughs> says holiday spirit like getting absolutely hammered. And I feel like that is a distinctly Christmas because we have tons of holidays during you know the Christmas season. You know, there's Kwanzaa, there's, uh, what's the Jewish one? Hanukkah. Hanukkah. There's Hanukkah. I should have known <laughs> that. Um, but none of the other religions treat alcohol the way we do. In my opinion. No, I think you're. And maybe I'm overly white about it. <laughs> no, I think you're right. Maybe I'm overly white about it, though. No, I think that you're, I I think you might be onto something. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we look at it as like, you know what? I'm going to celebrate the birth of Christ with so much eggnog, with so much brandy that you are going to be able to light my breath on fire. Yeah. Okay. That's not how you do it? I, I've never celebrated Hanukkah. Nobody brings me over for Kwanzaa. Um, I'm not 
That's I'm not welcome. Um, Guys, we need more friends. That's what we're trying to say here. We, I, I need a <laughs> friend aside from you. Um, but basically, so Thayer allows this. Hey, you know, are you kidding me? I'm the best friend you're ever going to get. I know. And that's why we just made a, a public cry for more. <laughs> I just want to go to Kwanzaa, okay? It's like I, being you invited to the cookout. Honestly. That's all I, I'm saying. My mac and cheese is good for white standards, but I'm here to bring plates. But I will bow down. Saying. Yeah, um, yes, ma'am. Tell me where to wash the dishes. Yes. I can do this. Okay, so anyhow, but Thayer loosens up and he allows alcohol for the 4th of July in 1825. So a year and a half before the the incident. Um, and the the can the cadets, they decide to, you know, be okay with it. So I, I lie. They get absolutely his drunk and they engage in something called a snake dance, which I can't figure out what a snake dance is. I'm I'm not sure if it's the nene of the time or if it is some bizarre thing. Anyhow, there's the school's commandant, William Worth. He is beloved by the students. Um, he is hoisted onto their shoulders and carried back to their barracks, presumably against his will. Okay. So after that point, Thayer's like, you guys, uh, you shit the bed. There's absolutely no Blue alcohol it. on campus. You know, like uh, we could have done it if you hadn't have gotten. I think the snake dance is where it it really broke the back. <laughs> I'm currently because I need to know. I'm currently looking up the snake dance. I will stand down. <laughs> uh, I I have an idea in my mind of what I think it is, but I I don't. I have in my mind, I haven't found anything yet, but I have in my mind that it is um, a, like, you know, the, the, in New Orleans, when they, they do it in New Orleans and they do it in, like, um, Haitian places where they've got the, the casket and they're dancing with it. That seems. Do you know what I'm talking that, about? I know, but. I'm going to go out on a limb and be like, that. that's not it. I don't think that's exactly, it's not with a casket, but I think it looks something similar to that. Okay, carry on. I'll find out what it is and I'll report back. I mean, I couldn't fight it quickly and easily, so I gave up. Yeah, that's why I'm saying carry on. As is my want. So back to the riot. Um, Back in my day, when I went to a private school, if you were caught on campus with alcohol possession or intoxicated, you were expelled. Um, but, you know, this is this is West Point, so it's a little bit um, different. I mean, so they were, after the snake dance, they were really hard up on the alcohol. But if you were caught with tobacco or gambling, uh, you would get demerits. And I'm assuming even with the novels that Thayer was against. Now, the, so because of all of this and the, the hard stance against alcohol, Thayer effectively cancels the cadet's Christmas party. Oh. Because he's like, okay, I'm d- I'm done policing you guys. It's just over. I can't, I can't trust you. You're causing problems. Yeah. Um, so Thayer cancels their Christmas party, just saying, absolutely not. We're not doing this. Um, but then later reports say that, you know, he just reminded them that there's no alcohol at the party. Well, with this in mind, there's 260 cadets, and they're told, or Thayer's told that the cadets are making eggnog in their unrefrigerated dorm rooms, even though the in Christmas the party. <laughs> well, okay. And so, like, I, when I first read this, I assumed their dorms were like my freshman dorm, which didn't have a kitchen. And so then I proceeded to watch countless videos on how to make eggnog. And they all involve a heat element. Where you got to okay. heat up the eggnog and then temper it and then slowly mix it together to get the thing. So it's it's not cooked, you know, cause, but it, you're making a custard, basically. Okay. Um, And then, of course, all of the ones that I said is like refrigerate. But yeah, this is before refrigeration. And it should be mentioned that. George Washington's eggnog recipe contained so much alcohol that it is mind blowing that he was able to walk a line, not a straight line. I have no idea, but just, you know, 
to be able to make it through any kind of process, let alone running a country. So you Um, have George Washington's eggnog recipe? I at least saw it at some point during this. That is so cool. it It is the reason why people over the age of 14 were consuming six gallons of pure alcohol a year, you know, because they had this as <laughs> All a kickstarter. In one month. <laughs> you would think, no, but I'm assuming they paced themselves or pickled themselves. I think those were the two <laughs> options. Um, so basically all the cadets are, are making eggnog and had been stealing food from the kitchens and cafeteria to bring back to their dorm room, which may or may not have included a kitchen needed to actually make the eggnog. Um, and Thayer hears about this at his Christmas party and he makes sure to mention like, Hey guys, there's no alcohol at the Christmas party. Right. And to me, when I originally read this, that was the equivalent of saying, Hey guys, just so you know, we don't allow elephants on campus. So we definitely won't be having one at the Christmas party. Right. Because that would be the only thing I wanted at that point. I'd be like, I hadn't even thought about bringing an elephant on campus. But, you know, now <laughs> I'm going to go get an elephant. I'm going to, you know, because I went to school in Fresno, I'm going to head to the Chaffee Zoo and go get me nosy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you had 250 cadets with you. Why not? And this is back in the early 1800s. So security should be lax at the zoo. <laughs> So basically, as soon as that happens, you know, and everybody's already planned on eggnog, the the booze just, of course we won't, as we're pulling more and more money together. So that it's about that time people are like definitely doubling down on smuggling and liquor. Two days before the riot, just before 9 p.m., and I love that we've got timestamps on this. It's almost as good as having CCTV footage. Three <laughs> cadets are at a place called Martin's Tavern, and they almost get into a fist fight with the proprietors of another tavern because they're trying to get whiskey back to campus. The first tavern, super close to campus, and it allowed students to barter for booze. And just, I, what could a student have aside from cold hard cash that you would want? I mean, they're not showing up with five barrels of... Maybe manual labor. Okay, you know what? That actually makes sense of like, you know, you build me a new outdoor patio and Mm -hmm. I will let you drink for a month. I've got so much trees that need to be stacked, like wood that needs to be chopped. Yeah, for the wood burning stove. Right. Okay, you you clean bar glasses for an hour, you can have a beer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Anyhow, basically, they're too expensive to buy the copious amounts of booze needed to make eggnog for you and 260 of your closest friends. And so the students actually have to travel up the river to Martin's Tavern. Oh, no. And so they get further and further away, you know, where the booze is cheaper, supply and demand. And then they end up rowing their boat back to the dock with a couple gallons of whiskey. And that's when they run into a security guard, Private James Dugan. And I feel bad that we know bro's name. (laughs) <laughs> and he agrees to let the three cadets take the boat to smuggle the whiskey. And it's because they have enough cash, in quotation marks, left over, they're able to cobble together a bribe. Do you remember the equivalent or the the amount of money that Brosif got for this bribe? Uh, enough for us to go buy a burrito. It was burrito money. Um, It was 35 <laughs> cents at the time. <laughs> Which is about eight bucks in today's money. I love that. I have been waiting to rehear the story because I keep, I think about the burrito money all the time. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't know what the 1820s equivalent of a burrito was. I mean, I'm sure it was just a bowl of mush and nothing too <laughs> exciting, but. A bowl of mush is a bowl of mush, man. Yeah. <laughs> and. They had purchased, you know, a couple gallons. So the students at the time had only planned to purchase a half gallon uh, of whiskey. And again, it's 280, but they ended up changing their mind and bringing in two gallons. And that's when, as they're coming back 
to the North Barracks Room 33, which is hilarious. Again, we have all of these, these details and receipts. That's when we know that Cadet T.M. Lewis of Kentucky also returned with a gallon of run, rum from Benny's Tavern at the North Barracks in Room 5. <laughs> uh, whoever had to write all this down does not get paid enough to deal with this BS. I mean, exactly, because... The parties I went to in college, nobody said it was Jaime who brought these three bottles of booze. And then we had Evo who brought these. And then it was Kevin <laughs> who brought, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's always just like, I don't know what's ever in the cabinet. <laughs> and so fast forward just a tiny bit, you know, it's December 23rd, the day before the riot starts. 5.45, the Christmas party kicks off at Thayer's house. And it's at dinner that Thayer pulls aside the commandant, Major William Worth, the one who was hoisted on the shoulders and carried for the snake dance. And they chat about Jefferson Davis's disciplinary issues because, <laughs> of course, Jefferson Davis is attending West Point, the leader of the Confederate. And at that point, Jefferson Davis had a, had a bit of a drinking problem. I don't know if it ever sobered up. He was one of the biggest party animals at the school. And he had exhibited a fondness for booze and a, well, a rebellious streak that foreshadowed his role as president of the Confederacy. During his first year of the military academy, um, one of the people there, Hitchcock, who comes up later in the story, he caught Davis at a notorious tavern just off campus and had court-martialed or it, and a court-martial found Davis guilty, uh, but his good conduct prior had, had saved him from expulsion. And it's in August of 1826 that Davis had been hospitalized for a decent period of time because he fell down a 60-foot ravine while hurrying back to campus from Haven's Tavern after hearing that a superior was en route. Like... I have never been so drunk that I fell off of a 60-foot cliff into a ravine and then had to be hospitalized. But there is a level of drunkenness. That is certain kind of special. So it's exciting to know that he's just been like that from the start. Yeah, yeah. What did he do to Hitchcock? I, I got I I was I was so wrapped up in thinking about Hitchcock's name. <laughs> yeah. So basically Hitchcock catches him at the tavern. Hitchcock comes oh, okay. up later. But Hitchcock is one who's like, okay, Davis, you're coming with me. Let's go. Come Saddle on, buddy. It up, boys. And then he gets <laughs> court martialed. And okay. later on he falls off a cliff. <laughs> I bet you he was a lot of fun at parties. Honestly. And like most <laughs> people, as long as we keep politics out of it, it can be a rousing time. Yeah. So it's at 6 p.m. the day of the incident that the cadets are planning their party and they're stealing food from the mess hall. Yeah, like they're catering, right? So they're, I don't know what they're doing, you know, smuggling hot dogs in their, <laughs> not their purses. Hockeys. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Um, so I can't even imagine this because if I think about it like a one-to-one -one ratio, my college, this would have been like cold mass-produced spaghetti and meatloaf for 500. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm I'm really curious about how they catered this event. And maybe I'm focusing on the wrong things. But Thayer knew that these people would want to smuggle alcohol on campus. So he gets uh, Ethan Allen Hitchcock and then Lieutenant William Thornton to post up at the barracks to keep an eye on things. So they're basically going to be the, the RAs for the night and the babysitters. So just before midnight, Hitchcock and Thornton they go to bed. Things are super quiet, super chill. Things are great. A couple of hours later, they wake up to the sound of basically drunken flat, frat boys going off. <laughs> Hitchcock goes upstairs and he sees six cadets and he tries to break it up. Uh, and he sends them to bed. Before he can head back to bed, he hears partying in the room next door. And Hitchcock opens the door and he sees two drunken idiots playing the worst game of hide-and-go-seek. They are literally <laughs> hiding under a blanket, and the third dude in there is using a hat as a disguise. <laughs> like, that is a level Idiots. of drunk. Mm-hmm. So Hitchcock, 
<laughs> Hitchcock's trying to get Hatman to reveal his true identity. And that's when things really pop off because Hitchcock leaves the cadets and they're super pissed to have been confronted from the get-go. And Hatman and Hitchcock, they exchange some words and amp everybody up. And as Hitchcock leaves, one person is reported to say, get your dirks and your bayonets and pistols if you've got them. Before this night is over, Hitchcock will be dead. <laughs> so he's an angry yeah. drunk. They had it out for Hitchcock, huh? I mean, look, there's there's a couple kinds of drunks in the world, and apparently this guy couldn't hold his booze and not start a fight. These things. Yeah. And another party on a lower floor starts or has been going and is heard, and Hitchcock, the beleaguered babysitter, tries to break it up. And that's where Hitchcock finds a very, very drunk Jefferson Davis in the hallway. <laughs> Davis follows Hitchcock and shouts, put away your grog, boys. Captain Hitchcock is coming. Not here. <laughs> like in route. Who <laughs> in three days. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hitchcock sends the very, very drunk Davis to bed. And I just have this image of Davis at this point being like, the least of Hitchcock's problems. Like, I mean, he, right. they already have a history, right? Like, yeah. he's already court-martialed the bro. He's already seen him in a hospital. Like, It has like, the same energy as the Duke brothers and the sheriff. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Like, ugh, this kid, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like, look, I get that you're you're just going to be the fuck up, but I mean, but you sincerely. later. Could you just like, go back to bed? I, I just <laughs> want to go night nights and y'all are in my way. <laughs> so it's at this point that I find this super hilarious because the captain is already in the room when Davison is like, he's coming. And he orders him back to bed and to, to Davis's credit, Davis's goes. And that's when Hitchcock reads the rest of the cadets, the literal riot act. <laughs> which basically declares martial law on any group of 12 or more that are unlawfully assembled. So he comes out full babysitter and just is like, we are changing things immediately. And I'm calling your mother. Oh, please don't call my mom. Yeah. It's like, I will straighten up immediately. And that's, that's when poor Hitchcock, he attempts to break down a barricaded door. Because, of course, in another room, there's another party going on. Of course. And that's when another cadet attempts to shoot Hitchcock in the face. Of course. And the <laughs> only reason he misses Hitchcock is because some reports say that a student stumbles into the shooter. Another report says that the student, like, pushes the shooter. Either way. Yeah. Uh, you know, so basically it's just a question of grace and intent. But it's thwarted. And Hitchcock narrowly misses death. And at some point in this chaos, his compatriot Thornton wakes up and then also attempts to st stop the parties. And he gets a sword pulled on him in one room and then beaten with a large stick. <laughs> like, <laughs> these guys are unhinged. Like, if you would have just let them have their alcohol the whole time, this probably would not have been the outcome. Perhaps, or maybe it would have escalated to this point anyhow. Maybe they would have just, you know, like, up the ante. It could be, yeah. I mean, I don't well know. Be. I mean, I, I've not been a college boy. In fact. So I, I, am, I am unsure. But it's at this point Hitchcock is just beside himself. I mean, he literally almost died. And so he calls for the commandant, the most beloved of men, William Worth, the carried on the shoulders during the snake dance. And the drunk asshats confuse what Hitchcock said for assuming that he called the bombardiers. Now, the bombardiers, they are basically armed soldiers on another Military, part of please. the campus. Yeah. And so they're like, great. So they prepare for full on battle. 
they're breaking windows. They're tearing the banister from the staircase. They rip apart all the furniture. I mean, they are going to war. And Over quite frankly, they've they've trained for this. So this is this is great. <laughs> the commandant shows up and he tries to shut it down. And if you know, the, it's just nuts. Ninety men, a third of the school is said to have been involved. That is insane. So two things happen. Order 98 names 22 cadets that are placed on restriction. Order 49 opens an inquiry into the riot and the surrounding events. The goal is to find the ringleaders because you can't just cut out. I mean, they had pretty hard rules, but you can't kick out a third of the school as your rules say, because that's that's going to be a huge blot on the school's reputation. Yeah. So this whole thing takes several weeks. 19 cadets and one soldier were court-martialed. Cadets Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis both testify on behalf of federal stu- or fellow students to attempt to help the, the fellow cadets. And just knowing <laughs> that straight-A student Robert E. Lee stood next to Jefferson Davis and both went, yeah, yeah, no, they, no, no, it wasn't so bad. He wasn't so bad. He wasn't so bad. He wasn't so bad. He was, okay, yeah, he was a jerk face. But I mean, honestly, he it was, you know. I actually don't even know who that guy is. Um, does he even go here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> unsure. That's that's three squirrels in a trench coat. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it was one of those things. This was the moment I realized that first Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis went to the same school and obviously knew each other. Yeah. Like that is the epitome of it's a small world after all. Mm-hmm. And so we get to March 8th of 1827 and the proceedings wrap up and eight of the cadets that are tried are allowed to remain at West Point, but three of them opted to leave anyhow and the rest are kicked out. 53 cadets received lesser punishments. Wow. Which is, I mean, that is a ton of work. I can only imagine the paperwork. I can only imagine the administration just going like, this is ridiculous. I am wasting my time. That poor secretary. Yeah. Um, as of, you know, the 1840s, there was a new barracks that replaced the North Barracks, and they ended up rebuilding it with a very different floor plan. They built short hallways that only allowed you access to a different story on the outside of the building. And that was as a direct result of these eggnog riots because they wanted to attempt to manage crowd control. Okay. So and we saw that this could be a problem later. Yeah. We have set a precedence. Let's and change it. That is the hilarious and unhinged story of the eggnog riots. I love that story. That is probably my favorite story. This, it, and it all goes back to the poor guy with the burrito. <laughs> just, just man. I, you know what? Maybe it was bad that I let him borrow the boat. <laughs> my name is going to go down in history for this. Because you know, Bad. at some point during the the trial, he was like, "This wasn't worth the burrito." Absolutely not. This was like the worst kind of jury duty ever. <laughs> it's the kind of jury duty where you're on the stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The worst jury duty ever. Was he the soldier that was court-martialed? Ooh, good question. I'm not sure. Because you said he was a guard, right? He was a guard, but there was also somebody who let them back on campus with the booze. Oh, okay, okay. You know, so there were a couple, and it, for all I know, they had a different soldier who was like, what are you guys drinking? You want to pour me a mug? <laughs> you know, so. All I know is that when um, when the boy got in trouble at school and had uh, his his one-day in-house suspension, the principal asked him, who do you want me to call? And he said, my dad. But it'll be my mom you have to call. And he knew <laughs> how very unhappy I was going to be when I got that phone call. It is something we laugh about now, truly. But knowing that he would have rather talked to his dad and tell his dad that than me. <laughs> That's got to be a point of pride. I am so proud. 
right? Like <laughs> when your kid is in deep water and needs help, you want to make sure they know they can call you. But when they have effed up and the call is coming for sharp justice, mm-hmm. you know? I want to talk to my dad. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my mom's gonna be so mad. <laughs> it's the most maddest I've ever been in my life. Really? Oh yeah, I was so mad. It it's funny now. Like, I think I was mad because it was funny then. Like, this is what you chose of all the things you could have done to get in trouble. This was it. This is the stupidest thing on the planet. I cannot believe you. And so I think that's why I was mad. Like it wasn't even like a relevant thing. Like he didn't he didn't start a fight. He didn't end a fight. He didn't get in trouble for you know like things you actually get in trouble for. He got in trouble for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Fair. Of his own choice. He could have just kept walking. So this is very much one of those things. Like this was one hundred percent your bad move, my friend. <laughs> Dummy. But now we get to tease him about it. So it's all you want. If you've enjoyed this romp through history and these bizarre pairing of stories, you know, the birth <laughs> of the guillotine and the birth of the eggnog riots, and you're wondering what fresh craziness we're going to bring for you next week, we don't know either. But join us. <laughs> you can rate, review, subscribe. You can email at us email at us you can do that too at unhinged.historypod at gmail.com and we'll see you next week goodbye bye